Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today. We pray that this message blesses you and encourages you. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just look us up at newriverchurch.org. Good morning. Good to see my friends here. Good to see my friends online. Glad to have you. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to need your help. So can you just pray with me before I start the message? Dear Lord, I, I'm your servant this morning. I'm here ready for what you would have for me. I, pr- I pray for my brothers and sisters. Give them their daily bread this morning. Lord, we just we look to you in this word. We look to you. I am humble before you, Lord. Have your way with me, Holy Spirit. Let me be surrendered to you as I give this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. So before we get into the message, we've got a verse of the season that we're going to look at. You know, it's Psalm 18, 1 and 2. It's right on the screen. I'm going to have you guys work with me a little bit this morning. So we're all going to read it out loud, and then we're going to break it down. Ready? I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. So, hallelujah. So we see two things I notice going on in this word that I want to share with you, friends. So first, this is a, written, it was written by King David. It's a very personal statement. It's a very personal statement. And as I read it one more time, count the number of times the word I, my, or me is used in this word. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock and whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. I think that's 10. I might have missed one. I was trying to count and read at the same time. But so the amount of times in two verses, it's a very personal statement. It testifies to the personal relationship that David had in his heart for the Lord. So a lot, you know, it's, we, we have to really embrace that. And just it requires that intimacy a lot to the man of prayer, the man after the heart of the Lord, that he can, that he can make it personal and testify to it. This is a declarative statement. This is a testimony. It's something when we read that we want to read it with that gusto, with that oomph, and testify to it. And so all these things that David is testifying to come through times of struggle. A lot of times we don't do this when, when, when things are, are great. We, we lean, on, lean on a little bit less. But, you know, we lean on God as our rock when our foundation's crumbling, amen? We use the God as our fortress when we need to hide behind him. We use God, well, obviously we all claim that Jesus is our Savior, but we need saving from the hopelessness of sin. My God is my rock, whom I find protection. He is my shield, which means we need to use him as our defense through the storms of life, and, the, and we need God's power to save us and help us to dwell in places of safety. So that's just what I found in that verse. I hope it resonates with you. So we're about to get into the message today, and the, and the title of our message is Hope Enters the Situation. If I would go up on the screen there, next slide, please. It's coming. Hope Enters. So everybody say it with me. It'll come up on the screen in a second. Hope Enters the Situation. All right. So we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. But before we get into talking about hope, a lot of times, I don't know about you, sometimes I struggle with certain concepts, you know, and hope is a big one. Hope is a tough one to tackle, isn't it, friends? So for me, oftentimes I look at what something is, 
by looking at what it's not. So we're going to look at actually the definition of the word hopeless is incapable of redemption or improvement, giving no reason to expect good or success, desperate or impossible. How many friends here this morning are struggling with hopelessness in an area of their lives? Is there anybody who's struggling with hopelessness in their health? Is there anybody who's struggling with hopelessness in their marriage? Is there anybody who's struggling with hopelessness in their finances, in their job situation, you name it? I'm sure we all can admit that we, if not struggling this morning, we are struggling, or we have struggled with an area of hopelessness in our lives. I got good news for you. We got a good message to read about it this morning. It's going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I like to read the word multiple times. It helps me to kind of memorize it, to really let it sink in. So I'm going to read the whole thing. If you have your Bibles, you have your phone, you got your app, get it out to Luke chapter 2. I'll give you just a second, and then we're going to dive in. Now, are you ready? All right, I got to hear you. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. At night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Amen. I know I may have read that kind of fast, but we're going to break it down. You're going to hear it all one more time. Don't worry. So we're going to, be, we're going to start breaking it down now. We're going to look at, you know, well, we all look at the, at, the, at the cute Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, but I find oftentimes we really don't look at it from Joseph's situation. So guys, this might resonate for you. We're going to look at Joseph's situation going on, because Pastor Doug talked about Mary's song last week, so we looked at it from Mary's perspective. Now, let's take a look from Joseph's perspective. Let's go back to verse number one. In those days, everybody say, in those days, days. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Let's look at what in those days was. So back in those days, Caesar Augustus rose to power. He was in power over the entire Roman world. The empire stretched across Europe and Asia. He was probably the most powerful man in the world. But to get to that place of power, the area, the whole Mediterranean region was racked by civil war, decades of civil war. So the, the, the land was left in a financial poverty. The crops were left in, in poverty. There was moral poverty in the land. So there was desolation going on. So the first part of Joseph's situation was the area was wrecked by civil war. So the atmosphere was kind of hopeless, I could imagine. But let's take that a little bit further, friends. Talked about a census that should be taken. Now, I don't know if you remember the last, the last census that was taken. We've all, we go through that process where, you know, 
maybe the government person calls you and you kind of you register and they, they check the box and you're all set, you're counted for the census. But it was a little bit different back in those days. The census had a different purpose. Situation number two for Joseph was being taxed. The purpose of the census was actually to be taxed. It wasn't just to be counted. It was that so the rich could get richer and the poor could get poorer, so the Roman Empire could get a little bit more money out of Joseph and Mary. So, and it wasn't just regular taxing. We weren't talking, you know, your 25% income tax, your 6.35% sales tax. You were talking upwards of 70%. Could you imagine giving 70% of your income to the man right off the bat before you even get any for yourself? So I'd say that Joseph in his situation had a little bit of financial hopelessness going on. Would you, would you agree? Yes, I would agree too. Let's keep reading. So verse number three, and everyone went to their own town to register. Verse number four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So in this census time, everyone had to go back to their hometown to register. Now, friends, this was not a, a small journey the, the, to go from Bethlehem, or the journey to Bethlehem, excuse me, was 80 miles. And it's not like you and I go 80 miles, like we just get up and go for a drive. It's a little farther than the distance from here to Mesquamacan. So by drive, maybe what, depending on how fast you drive, we'll call it an hour and a half, right? It was no short journey. It took days. And they had to go by, I wasn't in those days, so I'm not, maybe they went by donkey, maybe they walked. It was, why, they probably walked. It was a big, long journey that took I guess in over a week, depending on how fast and how efficiently they, they made their journey. So that takes a physical toll on you. Could you imagine walking 80 miles in seven days? Has anybody here ever done that? I have not. I could imagine that would be a, a big physical toll. So not only that, so, so situation number three. So he's been, there he is racked by civil war. He's going 80 miles just so he could pay more taxes. I'd say, I don't know about you, but I'd say that's a little bit on the hopeless side. Oh, and by the way, he's going with Mary, who, who was, in verse number five, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So they were in the betrothal process. They were engaged, which is a little bit different than us being engaged now in this time. Was actually They were contractually obligated. So they were ready to be married. Oh, and by the way, she was pregnant. So imagine now, if you're Joseph, you're going that 80-mile trek you're going to get taxed. Oh, and you've got a pregnant fiance with you. So you've got to, I'm sure he didn't give her all the luggage to carry. I'm sure he carried a, a bit for himself. Amen. So, so he's struggling with the physical weight. He's got a pregnant fiance. Oh, and by the way, he, she's given the birth to Jesus, the virgin birth. So, you know, so an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph and, and let him know what was going on. But still, I don't know about you, but it's got to be in the back of mind if you're Joseph. I didn't conceive that baby. So I've got this. And it, and it said earlier that, um, that he had had it in mind at one time to quietly divorce Mary. Now, he's not at this point now, but imagine that thought in the back of your mind. He, had, he was at one point thinking about divorcing her. Got a baby that he didn't conceive. So you've got many different areas. Now, if it was just one of these things, you know, like in our lives, when we have one area of hopelessness going on, we muscle through, we tough it out, right? We're strong. We keep, we keep moving maybe even two areas. But imagine you've got all these things going on, contributing to a 
time of possible hopelessness. Oh, but there's a little bit more, friends. Let's dive a little bit deeper. You ready? We're going to look at verse number 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Everybody say manger. Thank you. So manger, so manger is not, now we look at the Christmas scene as this cute time, they gave birth and it was just so, so warm and fuzzy out there and, you know, and, and the, but, but it's not, you know what, a, you guys know what a manger is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a trough. It's a trough used to feed cattle. So you're out, so, so not only are all these things going on, but he's out there in the manger where all the animals are, you know, probably going bathroom, they're, they're feeding in the slop. Why is he in that place? Because there was no guest room available for them. Everybody say, no room for you. No room for you. Can you imagine? We've all had that point in our lives, friends, where there's been no room for us. Maybe there's a relationship you went through and got to a point where there's no room for you. Maybe there's a job that you were dreaming of and you applied for. And oh, by the way, there's no room for you. Maybe for anybody who struggled with divorce, you got to a point in your marriage where your spouse said, there's no room for you. Maybe you tried to get a rent somewhere and there was no room for you. What does that feel like when you hear the phrase, no room for you? Rejection, hopelessness, despair, no possible idea of a good outcome in that place where there's no room for you. So at this place, friends, where Joseph had no room for him and no room for Mary and no room for the baby that was about to be born, he was probably at his lowest point, his greatest point of hopelessness. Could you imagine the crud sandwich that, jo that Joseph was eating? Because jo now, don't forget, Jesus hadn't been born yet. So he's there with, with pregnant Mary, probably out of money, body racked by, uh, by an 80-mile journey, fighting thoughts of, of disgrace of, uh, of trying to fight off the gossip of, of a woman who's pregnant with a baby that you didn't conceive, and people don't understand that it's, that it's the Messiah because he hasn't appeared yet. I don't know about you guys, but I might be in a deep state, state of hopelessness. Would you agree? But I got good news for you coming up, friends. Let's, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper. So... Oh and, by, oh, and I forgot to add, oh, by the way, I imagine there, there was not an epidural for Mary when she gave birth. I could imagine. <laughs> so, and there was no doula there. There was no assistance. So, I don't know. I'd be, if I was Joseph, I'd be a little bit squeamish trying to help give that birth. And uh, I don't know. That'd be a little bit of a struggle and the amount of pain that Mary went through and watching your fiancé, you know, give give a painful birth unassisted, oh, by the way, that might add to the hopelessness because you can't do anything about it, right? Yeah. So the hope, okay, so I, I, forgive me for forgetting there. But so all these things where Joseph had areas of hope, the hope was deferred. So if we look at Proverbs 13 and 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm going to share a little a little client story with you about hope deferred. So as most of you know, I'm a massage therapist. I've been doing it for a bit. But it was actually answered prayer that I give God the glory for this year, that he gave me the desires of my heart. I get to do it full time. So you know, praise be to God for that. But I had one client in particular who had come to see me who had shoulder surgery, rotator cuff surgery. 
Now, one of the things I do, I like to stretch out my clients a bit, and I was trying to get this shoulder stretch, just this gentle shoulder stretch, to get back here. And she lost that range of motion in her shoulder. For two years, two years, she could not get her arm back to this point to be able to do a gentle little stretch. And she was hopeless about it. I, I'm talking with her about it. She didn't think that it was ever going to happen. You know, I just keep praying for it as I'm working on it, praying for it. And then one day, oh, and, and I had told her too as an aside, I said, you know, hey, because we both like dessert, you know, as you can say, I like my sweets a little bit. And I said to her, hey, hey, friend, when the day comes, because I knew it was going to come, I've been praying for it, I knew we were going to get that shoulder back there. God was going to make that happen. But when that, when that day came, I was going to get her a piece of chocolate cake, because we both like chocolate cake. And so the day came praying for it. And finally, and coaxing, and just, it took that, because I had the expectation that something good was going to happen. I had the outside perspective, so hold that thought for a second, the outside perspective. So I had the outside perspective that brought hope into the situation. She had the hopelessness of being in her situation. I had the hope from looking at outside of her situation. So from working on it, we got that shoulder back, and the day came for it, boom, we got the gentle shoulder stretch. It was the longing fulfilled. The, the life that, that just popped onto her face, almost in tears for her. Two years couldn't move her shoulder back, but praise God, we were able to get it back. So longing fulfilled was a tree of life. But I, but I ask you, what, start, start thinking about friends. What areas of your life has the hope been deferred for you? Has it been so long since you carried hope that it's making your heart sick? When you think about it, there's a pit in your stomach, a lump in your throat. But hold on to that, friends. I keep saying I got good news for you. I promise you it's coming. So now we've talked about hopelessness. We've talked about Joseph's area of hopelessness. Let's actually define what the word hope means. There it is. It's the desire accompanied by the expectation of or the belief in fulfillment. And you see, friends, we got the sign of hope coming. It's going to be in verses 8 to 12. Everybody say sign of hope. There we go. Verse number 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Now here, friends, check this out. Now, if you're reading your Bible, this is the most important phrase. This is when I was scanning this and praying about the message for hope in the Christmas story. This is the phrase that stuck out to me, and I hope it sticks out for you. And read it along with me if you got it. This will be a sign to you. One more time. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Next slide, please. So, at Joseph, at his most ho lowest, hopeless point, maybe you're at your lowest, most hopeless point. I got good news for you today, friends. Even at your lowest, most hopeless point, it might be a sign of hope for somebody else. And when did the sign of hope come, friends? It wasn't through all Joseph's circumstances. It wasn't through all the crud that he was dealing with. It came when Jesus entered the situation. When Jesus entered the situation, there was a sign of hope. It doesn't say the sign of hope came from the 80-mile journey. It doesn't say the sign of hope came from the taxation. It doesn't say the sign of hope came from the pregnant fiancé. 
sign of hope came when Jesus entered the situation. So the shepherds see this. So, and, and, and by the way, the baby wrapped in cloths, we think of these cute little swaddling blankets that are nice and comfy and rest comfortably. No, if you, if you look it up, and I was doing my research, that the cloths are actually a bunch of strips of linen that were just cut together to make a piecemeal swaddling cloth for the baby. So maybe you've got situations that are piecemealing together. Maybe you've got situations that you're, you're just trying to hold it together just to get through, and you're struggling with that big hopelessness in your life. But i got good news for you. There's a, there's a sign of hope. Because with the Lord in your situation, there is always a sign of hope. And I got... You see, and there's an important transaction that had to happen with Joseph. You see, when Jesus entered the situation, don't mind me, I've got my little prop right here. You're going to see what's going on in a second here. It brings me back to my teaching days. So Joseph had all the... Actually, let's look at the physical first, friends. So we see here we got, we got a bottle, empty bottle of water, right? Let's say it was filled with hope before, just for proverbial purposes, right? And through circumstances... It got all poured out, right? How much value is this bottle right now in my hand? Incorrect, actually. There's zero, zero. It has five cents value, but I haven't, turned, I haven't, brought, I haven't got it redeemed yet. So if I hold on to this and I keep all these bottles at home or I put them in a backpack and weigh it down on my shoulder, it's actually, it's, it's not worth anything yet. It is worth five cents. So excuse me for, 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 for being quick. I'm just excited. Uh, don't mind me. But so it has the five cents value, but nothing is yet because I have not turned it in. So, you know, and we've got a whole bunch of bottles. Usually my wife and I have a bag at home that's about yay high. Once it gets filled up, I go to the redemption center. Yeah, I'm losing my earpiece here, getting it redeemed. Hey, we're, there we go. And so I bring it to the redemption center, and, and we go with, our, with, with the different bottles, right? And we, go to, and we go to put it in, right, into the, into the thing for plastic. So what happens now if I take the bottle and I go to put it in and I'm about to release it? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to take it back. How much value in the bottle as yet? Zero. Still zero. Five cents coming up. But what do we need to do to get the five cents? Two more steps. We have to give it up to the machine. We have to give it up to the Redeemer. Come on, you see where I'm going with this? Come on, if you're tracking with me. we got to give it up to the Redeemer. So we give it up to the Redeemer. The Redeemer does what he wants with it. I don't see the process. I can't look inside the machine, nor do I want to. I just, you know, want the redemption. Does the money pop out of the machine? No, they give you a receipt. And then the receipt, because you still have work to do with it, right? You have to take the receipt and the work of bringing it to the cashier where the redemption can then take place. So what do these bottles represent in your life? Are you holding on to pain from COVID? Are you holding on to brokenness in a personal relationship? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Are you holding on to physical pain? Maybe you've been walking around, friends, in pain for so long. Maybe it's in your back. Maybe it's in your mind. Maybe it's in your knees. Wherever the pain is, it's been so long that you don't even know what it's like 
to not be in pain anymore. Maybe you're holding on to your feelings, your feelings of anger, your feelings of anxiety, your feelings of depression, your feelings of lack of self-worth, you see. So you're holding on to these. Now, I've only got four here, but imagine some of these folks got way more bottles than that. And they're holding on to that hopelessness, and it's weighing them down. And they can't sleep at night. And they, don't even, they can't even define hope. They can only define hopeless. All these things, you see, Jesus wants to redeem these friends, and I believe he wants to redeem them this morning. But the problem is, we can't hold on to them. Because when we hold on to them, they haven't gotten their value yet. We have to turn them into the Redeemer. And we have to let the Redeemer do his work with it. We have, to, we have to wait on him to do his work and then partner along with him in that work. So then when we turn it in, then the value is going to come out. Somebody give me an amen. If you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly, we looked at this last week, to the hope we profess. Everybody say the word profess. For he who promised is faithful. To what are you holding on to? And professing today, friends, are you, are you professing your, your pain? Are you professing your job struggles? Are you professing your count, the whatever it is? Are you professing your circumstances today? But Jesus wants to redeem that today. He wants to take it because when Jesus looks at it from the outside perspective, we look at it from the inside perspective and go, there's no hope for that. There's no possibility of redemption. There's no possibility for a good outcome. But when Jesus looks at this, Jesus looks at this bottle that's weighing you down, and he says, hey, friend, I got something to work with. He says, hey, I want to redeem this. Hey, I want to make something good out of this. I want you along with this bottle. But you got to let it go. you got to let it go today. you got to give it over to the Redeemer. Because you see, the sign of hope came when Joseph stopped letting go, when he let go of his circumstances and he held on to Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready to let go of any area of hopelessness in my life today and give it to the Redeemer. I'm ready to let go of any area of unfulfilled expectations, of longing unfulfilled, and give it over to Jesus today. But the trick is we got to let go of it all the way. Many times in life, and I don't know about you, I've done it before where I, I, I let go of most of it, but when the time came for the whole redeeming process, I took it back. And then the hope wasn't restored. And I wondered why the hope wasn't restored. But Jesus says, I want all of it. I want the parts that you're embarrassed to talk about. I want the parts that you're embarrassed to show. I'm sure Joseph hit a lot of embarrassment, a lot of hopelessness in his heart. It doesn't say he proclaimed how hopeless he was. It was in his heart. But he had to let it, when he saw baby Jesus, who, by the way, the sign of hope, and I thought it was cool in praying about this. You know, Jesus, who's 100% God and 100% man, he's there, right? And, but you see, even as baby Jesus, he didn't, he didn't preach a sermon for 12 years. He didn't do a miracle for 30 years. But yet, he was still 100% God and 100% man. He was the, the sign of hope. And even as baby Jesus, he drew the shepherds near to him. Because they knew, they had the expectation that he was the Messiah. So they were drawn near to him. So friends, as we come to a close this morning, and the worship team can come back up here. 
look at. So if you are struggling with hopelessness in your heart this morning, hopelessness in your circumstances, hopelessness in whatever area of life it is for you, I got four things for you, and I'm sorry I don't have a slide for it, but you can go back and listen to it later if you'd like. So the four things that we can do is we have to turn in the knots of our situation, the things that are, that are hopeless. I know as a massage therapist, I find it's, it's amazing how, you know, I go to work on clients and I bring in the outside perspective, right? You know, the, to get, help get rid of the pain, get rid of the anxiety, what they're struggling with. They come in with their low back problems, their headaches. But when the time comes to really dig in there, they guard and they hold and they don't even realize it. They hold on to their pain, right? They hold on to their pain. They don't fully let go so that the healing can't be fully received. Come on now. So you have to turn in the areas of pain in your life. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it is the low back. Maybe it's the, whole, it's the marriage that's struggling. Maybe it's the kids that won't listen. Maybe it's, it's, it's living hand to mouth so long and not, not trusting that your finances are ever going to get any better. Maybe it's the desire of your heart that's been 15, 20 years and God hasn't, God hasn't done anything with it yet. Maybe it's because we haven't let it go. So we have to turn in the knots of our situation and give them over to the Lord. And what happens is, when we turn over the knots of our situation, friends, we make room. We make room for the outside perspective. We make room for Jesus to come into the situation. And then once we make room, we've completely surrendered it. I've taken the bottle, put it in the machine for the Redeemer to do his work. I've let go of it. I don't look at the bottles anymore. They're all gone. I can throw them away because I've given them to the Redeemer and let him do his work. Then I wait for him to do the work. A lot of times the things that need to be redeemed, the restorations, the chains being broken. A lot of times in our hearts, it's the desire is to do it now. Anger that's been built up for years, we want it broken now. But it takes time. we got to wait for the Lord to do his work because the Lord's timing is absolutely perfect. Our timing is now, but God's timing is perfect. So we have to let him do his work. So then, as we've made room for Jesus, because by the way, if you look at John 14 and 2, it says, Jesus has made, he has a, he has a place prepared with many rooms for you. So if you were struggling with the phrase, there's no room for you today, when you make room for Jesus, he's got a place for you. He's got room for you. But you've got a lot of men. We've got to turn it over to the Redeemer. Let him redeem the outcastingness and the hopelessness and the no room for you and let him redeem that. And you see, once he has, come on now. Oh, I feel like there's going to be something. To, oh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in a minute. Once the redemption takes place, He's given us the work to do. We go and we do it. Then we share it with others. Because when God does a work in your life, friend, and he does a work in your life, and he does a work in your life, and he does a work in everybody in here's lives, it's not meant for you to hold it all to yourself. It's meant for you to testify. It's meant for you to share. It's meant for you to say, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my protection. The Lord is my healer. The Lord is my defense. It's meant for you to share it with others because even when you're at your lowest point and you got the sign of hope, maybe somebody else who's watching you and watching your story who doesn't know the Lord is seeing your redemption and you got to give the glory to God. But it is okay to hold on to a little bit for yourselves. If you look down in verse 19, Luke chapter 2, it says, 
But Mary treasured after the shepherds were all done where they were amazed. They were in wonder at the, at the testimony, at the longing fulfilled. They got to see the Messiah. They got to see the Lord King Jesus. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's okay for you to hold on to that a little bit. That's what you want to hold on to because you're holding on to the hope that Jesus gave you that you traded in with your hopelessness and he redeemed and gave you hope. So you can hold up to that and treasure it in your heart. I know at home, I've got what I like to call a memory box. Because even though, you know, I'm full of hope, most of, you know, most of the time I struggle with hopelessness like we all do, but the times where I'm struggling with the hopelessness, I keep this little memory box at home and it's filled with all sorts of different affirmations, notes that people wrote me, that people that God used to encourage me in my journey. People that God used to help uplift me when I couldn't uplift myself when I couldn't get out of my own way, when I was struggling with sadness, where people just, you know, it reminds me of how much God loves me and the work that God's done in my life and the purpose that he has for my life so I can look at that memory box. It's a treasure that I store in my heart, just like Mary has the treasure that's stored in her heart. So as we finish, and we're about to sing this last worship song in a second, I feel like there's a transaction that's going to take place today, friends. I feel like there's somebody, a person or two, in here that's holding on. They've heard the message. They feel led to turn it into the Redeemer. But now the transaction's got to take place. So as we're singing the last song in a minute, the altar's going to be open for you because there's room for you at the altar. There's room for everyone at the altar. Jesus has room for all of you at the altar to lay it down. And if you want to receive prayer, I urge you, come on, come over to this side. Because I know sometimes, friends, we go up and we, we just want to flesh it out between ourselves and God. And that's totally cool. I don't want you to feel pressured. Somebody's got to lay hands on you and pray for you. You just, just hang right out over here and take it between you and God. But if you want prayer this morning, or maybe it's the first time, maybe that you're just realizing, oh no, I've been holding on to all of these for 20 years. I've been holding on to all these for a long, long time. I can't believe I'm holding it. I'm holding it so tight that it hurts my hands and my arms. And I want the Redeemer. I want to know the Redeemer. I want to know what redemption feels like. I want to know what it's like to be redeemed. If that's you and that's your first time this morning, acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Let him into your heart. Let him take the bottle and redeem it. You come to the altar and let us pray for you. So can I pray to close and then we're going to sing our last worship song. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the hope that is in you, Jesus. I thank you that you are the Redeemer. Mm. I thank you that in you we can be set free, that chains can be broken, that we can be healed, that we can be restored, that we can be delivered, that the strongholds can be broken, that the hopelessness we can, uh, the darkness that comes along with that, that we can trade it along for the hope that you provide. But help us, Holy Spirit, today to make the transaction. Help us to not hold on subconsciously or consciously because we want it to be the hope that we profess, Lord, the hope that we unswervingly profess with 100% of our hearts. We want to profess it this morning that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. You are the Prince of peace. You hold every one of our tears in your bottle, Lord, so no tears have been wasted. But help us to make the transaction this morning. Holy Spirit, I just feel the sense that there's going to be a transaction that takes place. And I pray that we just, with no sense of who's watching, no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment, 
no sense of what's everybody going to think. It doesn't matter what everybody thinks. It matters what you think, Lord. So help us to make that transaction take place right here at the altar this morning. We, we give it to you because we've been doing it too long. I've been doing it for a long time, and I don't want to do it anymore. I want you to redeem it, Lord, because I can't redeem it, but you can. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have the name above all names. We just submit this, the rest of this time to you. In Jesus' holy, matchless, and wonderful name, everybody says, amen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.